Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, once again, man, we it just it's crazy that we're in Genesis 12. Like I I, I look at all the things that we've covered. What is uh, what is this? You just slurred that entire sentence again. I know I do that a lot. Okay. Uh, this is like episode 24 of this year's uh, epic narrative, and we are only in Ch- Genesis chapter 12. Now, at some level, I think to myself, well, that's not bad, Bob. You've actually done two episodes on average per chapter, and that's, I guess, a pretty good pretty good uh, rhythm to be in. Maybe, maybe we'll continue that. <laughs> what are there, 50 chapters in... There are, aren't there? 50 chapters in Genesis. If we do two, two episodes per chapter, holy cow, that's over a hundred episodes. We we're gonna be we're gonna be jamming in those last <laughs> the last two months. It'll be like new episodes every day. We gotta finish this in a year. Well, we'll see where it ends up. But anyways, we we appreciate you sticking with it. But it, I don't know. It's so much of what we're starting here in, in Genesis chapter 12. Kind of, uh, it 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 seems as though a lot of people this this is where it's not where they start Genesis, but it's kind of like the story. That's where the story starts. Like the first part is like, yeah, God created. Okay, awesome, got that out of the way. Oh yeah, Cain killed Abel. Super. Uh, Noah in the flood. Good. And then like chapter that's like one chapters one, two, and three. And then chapter four is Abraham or Abram at this point. I know I keep saying the wrong name. Okay. But obviously, that's not the truth. It's just the way we kind of block it off in our heads. It's kind of like we got four major stories, and then we hit Abram, and Abram turns into a really long story. And and you're right, it does. He is the father of, of two huge religions, one of which birthed another huge religion. So technically, three huge religions all tie back to him. So in Genesis chapter 12... I'm just going to read the first five verses, then we're going to break them down. We'll see. I I think that should cover our episode for today. So the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, or Sarah, I, it's fine. I know, the I is there, so you know sometimes you feel, you feel more academically accurate if you say Sarai. His nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Boom! We have got so much time cracked into these five verses that that's why I think it's going to take us at least an episode to get through it. Because at the beginning, we got the call of Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. And then the last phrase of verse five, and they arrived there. Boom. That was easy, right? You'd think. It's really not, right? If you've ever traveled, not easy. Especially if you've ever traveled at that time, which I'm guessing none of us have. Okay, the Lord said to Abram, 
I think it's important to note uh, in the story that this was an individual call. This was a call to Abram. It wasn't a call for the city. It wasn't a call on a community. It wasn't a call on a nation. It was an individual call. It was a conversation that Abram had with the Lord. I don't think that this that the voice was strange to Abram. Just like I don't think it was strange to Noah when God said build an ark. I think Noah had had con- pretty consistent conversations with God. I think God talks a lot. Uh, I think He's always talking. His His especially, well, uh, definitely in His voice. But it, even if you just want to call it creation, creation, I think calls out and sings out and communicates out about the creator all the time. But if we're not tuned into it, we think he's quiet. We think he's, we might think he's dead. Probably my, it's it's an old book, but it, it was called, um, you know, uh, Tuning Into God. How to, No, How to Hear God. Oh, Bob, you should have looked this up. See, this is what you get for running down a rabbit trail. Anyways, the idea was you tuned in like like an old radio, old radio. I suppose uh, some of the finer digital ones you can see it too, like all the little numbers, the 94.5. Like you're, if you turned the dial or hit the up button, like all those numbers roll through. That's the sort of thing. Sometimes you have to do that. Uh, if you've gotten out of tune with creation, out of the frequency of heaven, then you need to tune in. And when you do tune in, you'll find that his his voice is there all the time. One of the best ways to get tuned in is start being thankful. You start being thankful for for every little thing you can find, and you'll you'll start to hear more of what I would call the voice of God. More thankfulness will start to well up in you. You'll start to naturally want to be thankful for things because I believe thankfulness is part of uh, the the voice of heaven. It's always grateful. Always thankful. So as you learn to be thankful, more and more things you're thankful for, more and more things you tune into, more and more things are there, you'll find that you also are hearing God about other things. And you'll start to interact with him about what he wants to do and how to bring heaven to earth in those circumstances. Because sometimes you'll find yourself being thankful for something that in in everybody else's eyes is a really bad situation. But you're going to find something to be thankful for. That's the voice of God. And if you're tuned into it, you will always find things to be thankful for, things to be grateful for, things that, you know, somebody somebody has really hurt or offended, let's say, a family. And you're able to look at that person and, and come up with something that you're grateful for, something that they do that they've done well and you appreciate. And that the gratefulness, that appreciation opens up or tunes you in to the frequency of heaven and allows you then to interact with that person from a place of their true identity, which is a child of light, not the false identity that looks like they're a child of the enemy, you know, the child of the, of the darkness <laughs> that are causing all kinds of trouble. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, this voice that he heard from, from heaven, I believe, again, he was trained by Noah for at least 40 years. He understood that it was from God. He had always worshipped this God. It was why his father had moved out of the out of the rhythm of everyday life under Nimrod. He goes, I want you to go from 
your country, which means uh, a place of comfort, a means of provision, something you know. He knew his country well because Abram was known to travel with his flocks. He had, he, he, although he might have had a permanent house, he was very seldom there unless the flocks were there being um, sheared, sheep being sheared and, and other things being attended to. He tended to move about with his flocks, even as a 70-year-old as man, or in this case, 75. He goes, I want you to go uh, from your people. Now, the people that he was around would have been people that he influenced. This would have been a community, a place of connection. Um, yeah, influence, connection, authority. He would have had some authority, although without any children, you lost authority. The more sons you had, the more authority you had. Uh, we covered that in length last year when we talked about Jesse and the seven sons he had. Well, he actually had eight, but if you ha if you didn't hear all that, just go back. It's in the early episodes of the life of David that we did last year on the epic narrative. And then and then he goes from your father's house, which is a place of heritage, a place of roots, a place of ancestry. This is a this is legitimate. Like he's letting them know you're, you're not coming back. You're going from these places. Uh, I, and, and the way that the phrasing of, you know, go from is God saying, listen, I understand what I'm asking you to walk away. I'm asking you to wait for, you know, I'm asking you to walk away from a place of comfort, a place of influence and a place of heritage. Listen, when God calls you, he's not ignorant of what he's asking you to do. And so what, what happens next is really important. Because he says, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. It's awesome. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. So he goes, I want you to leave all these things. I understand what they are. But I'm going to take you to a land, a place of provision. I'm going to take you to a place of means. I'm not going to just take you out to the desert and watch you slowly wither. And he says, I'm going to take you to a land I will show you. That's the last phrase of, of verse 1. What that means is, I'm never, I'm not leaving you. See, sometimes people uh, present this like, God's like, listen, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. And then he goes silent. And Abram's like, oh man, I got to pack up the whole family. I got to get everybody on the road. Let's hit the road. Where are we going? I don't know. God, God will talk to me when we get there. No, he's like, listen, I'm going to, uh, to a land I will show you. This is a time of connection for you and I. This is a journey of community between you and I. And it is naturally going to occur that Abram would teach his his family to interact with God on this journey. He probably already has taught them things like that. He's taught to he's talked to Lot about he's uh, you know about connecting with God. He's talked to Sarai about connecting with God. They understand that the Lord speaks to Abram, but they don't feel you know alone in this. God's speaking to them as well and and that's why I think it's really wise that if you hear the voice of God 
telling you something, then you confirm it with others around you, especially family. I've, I have moved a lot. I've moved a lot. I mean, there's just no way to avoid it. You, you look at my life, I look like a nomad. I've never once showed up somewhere thinking, well, we'll only be here for a few years and then we'll move on. Never once. I've always had this sense of heritage and roots that I've, that I've arrived with. And every move I've made, <laughs> wait, I just flashed to that. What was that old camp song? Every move I make, I'm making you. You make me move, Jesus. Every step I take, I'm taking you. Every move I make, I'm making you. You are my way, Jesus. Every step I take, I'm moving you. Something like that. Anyways. Waves of mercy, waves of... <laughs> that's enough. Yeah, I know. That is uh, that is not why you tuned in. This is not the epic song. This is the epic narrative. So every move that you make, I believe, needs to be confirmed. There are many people who hear from God, and they believe that if they hear from God, they need no confirmation. They just move forward. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that's that to me is doesn't fit the pattern of uh, that we start to see here in Abram's life. He was clearly in community. He's like, God's like, well, you're going to go from all these places of influence and heritage and comfort, and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you, a place of means, a place of provision, and it's going to be a journey of connection. And everybody in you is, everybody in you, everybody with you is also going to feel that connection. That's why I don't think you know, in this story, there's there's no pushback on this because I think God speaks to everybody. I don't think he just speaks to one person. That's another, uh, I'll just say, it's a, that's a dangerous role to have. If you're part of a ministry, church, group of some sort, home group or something where one person hears from God and claims to hear from God better than everyone else and, and in essence encourages you to shut down your communication with God and just trust theirs, that's dangerous. And I know entire denominations have been built on that mindset, that idea of don't you know, question God's anointed. Don't question your leadership. You let leadership work with God. And if God disagrees with the leadership, God will get them. But don't you do it. That's not your job. Your job is to serve. Your job is to come into alignment with the voice of God. Your job is to, you know, to support all that God has spoken to the leadership about. And if you don't agree with that, then, you know, you need to, you need to find other places to be. And there's, there's people that have taken that to the extreme. Like I, I literally know people that have been part of churches where they're, they signed over their entire paycheck to the, to the pastor every week. And it was up to the pastor to take care of them. And so the pastor will will allocate money for food or cars or or whatever. And the pastor would say, listen, you need to change jobs because I think you need to start making more money. I need you to contribute more. Or you, you know, you you bought a new car? You didn't buy a new car for you. You bought a new car for me. You need to ride a bike to work. I'll take your car. Sign it over to me. Give me the title. Like there's it's it's it has turned many into a very abusive situations and it gets as small as families too sometimes you have 
have a father or a mother that, quote, hears from God and everybody has to come into alignment with that. No one's allowed to question what's going on. I don't think the voice of God is one that is afraid of questions. And if you have a God that is afraid of questions, you need to reconnect with the frequency of heaven. He's never been afraid of questions, ever. You can question the voice of God and you can choose not to follow it. That's the other thing that we need to keep in mind. Abram could have said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. You know, you, you have clearly directed my path here. I'm comfortable here. I have provision here. I think I'll just hang out. What would have happened? I don't know. I don't think God would have struck him dead because freedom of choice is always there. But the results of that choice would also come along with that. And when you hear a call of God and you don't step into it, you open yourself up to influences that are not of God. And you might start to see, you know, provisions being mm, slowly drained. And you can look at it and say, well, that's the attack of the enemy. Is it the attack of the enemy? Or is it the fact that you aren't really stepping into all that God has available for you? And the enemy knows that because of that, he can start to drain the favor from you. I, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't have all the answers for spiritual warfare. I just know, I just know we, we should go where God leads us. And sometimes that means moving a lot. And I have moved a lot. I think that's where I started, right? I started with the idea that I'm kind of a nomad. It is, uh, it's true. I've moved a lot, even, even sometimes like around like starting in a ministry, you know, and then I move from one house to another house to an apartment to another house. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. My, my wife's amazing and we journey together and it is interesting how her frequencies to tune into God and my frequencies are not identical, but we know the confirmation is there because we both end up with the same concept of direction we have we both you know end up in a in in these places where it's like yeah no actually no I agree with you but the, you know this is how God is showing me but I agree with you and it's like wow that's crazy so God speaks to them in in uh in chapter in verse two he covers uh he covers things for them basically he covers uh what did I say like his blessings. He takes his blessings and he pours out blessings based on what would be a natural human concern that Abram would have regarding travel, right? When you when you travel, three things usually happen. Uh, one, uh, if, if you're young and you're having babies, that can be really difficult, all right? Uh, secondly, your wealth is depleted. You, you don't go on vacation or any trip and try and save money. If you've ever been with somebody who's on a trip trying to save money, they are so annoying, right? Because they, you need something because it's not packed. And then they're like, well, we can't afford that. You don't know. No, no, no. Like we're here at this great place, but you, we can't do anything. You know, one meal a day and, and you sit outside and enjoy the sunshine. That's it. We can't, no, we can't afford to go there. We can't afford to go. We're just going to take pictures. <laughs> make people think we're having a good time. Yeah, those people are never fun. Or if you've ever moved, and again, I've moved so many times, and I'll tell you, the most frustrating aspect of moving is when you're trying to save money and move at the same time. 
because you just can't. And that's ultimately where we've landed. Like it's, you can, you can do things without being stupid with money, but saving money is, is a, it's just, it'll drive you crazy. It'll put you through a lot of stress. And then the last thing that happens when you move is your reputation is often, um, well, we'll call it sullied. I mean, I, I know this just because I, I have moved so many times. People, when you move away, people can say what they want about you. You're not there to counter it verbally, and your lifestyle isn't there to counter it over time. So people, you move away, and people can say, well, you know, Bob was always whatever. You know, Bob wasn't always nice with his words. Bob wasn't as happy as you think. Bob... Bob used to be mean. Bob, da 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 da, and I'm not there. I can't. I can't counter that. My children aren't there. They can't be like. That's not the way my dad behaves. And there's other things that could be insinuated. I I know for a fact this one place that we left. They insinuated after we left that the reason we left was because of the mental health, mental and emotional health health of my wife. That if she had been in a you know a better Christian. If she had been tied into, you know, to God the way that Bob was, he would he would still be here. But because she was emotionally unstable and spiritually unstable, Bob had to leave us. And that's why, like, they dumped it all on her. Now, you know, when I heard that, it was a, you know, whatever, a year later, I was upset because it wasn't, it was, it just wasn't true. But the truth was, they did not want to tell anybody why I left because I left because of stuff that they were doing behind the scenes and things that they were teaching that I didn't think, you know, tapped along with scripture anymore. And that was, that was, that was hard. Cause I was like, dang it. My, that had, my wife had nothing to do with this. And frankly, I didn't plan on ever leaving. So, you know, uh, anyways, anyway, enough about my sad life. I had a great life. I really do. And there's there's several places I left in which really everything was going fine, but at some level I don't get to keep I don't get to keep tabs on my on my reputation once you leave. So then God, right? Those three things kind of take a hit. You're uh, making babies or having babies can be way more difficult on the road, especially roads that are, you know, you're in carts or you're on a on a, a camel or a donkey. Uh, and then your wealth is depleted, uh, and your reputation can be sullied. So God makes this promise in verse, uh, verse three, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God says, listen, I'm going to, uh, uh, let's see, uh, I will bless those who bless you. Where's, where's the nation part? Oh. <laughs> That's in verse two, Bob. You skipped it. I will make of you a great nation. You're in verse two, Bob, not verse three. Okay, great nation. So what's that mean? That means pregnancies are not going to be that difficult. So at 65, he and Sarai are still planning on having a family. God's like, don't you worry. I will make that happen. And then he says, um, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. So he's like, your name will be great. In other words, your reputation will not be hurt by this move. And you will be a blessing. 
what that meant was you're going to be very wealthy. You're going to actually be able to help other tribes, cities, and nations. That's how wealthy you're going to be. Your provision is going to be off the charts. This is awesome. God also promises a spiritual protection. God promises in verse 3, I've already read it, so I'll just keep going. He promises a spiritual blessing through Abram. I will bless those who bless you. So along the way, in your journey, you bump into people who just are nice to you. They're kind to you. Maybe they they give out of their out of their wealth or they give out of their out of their they see a need in your particular journey and they're like, "Hey, let me help you out." This happens a lot, you know, with people who go camping. You meet other people that are camping and they see you struggling, they come over and say, "Hey, hey, hey. I know exactly what you need." I used to have this problem. Now, if you do this, da, 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 look, problem solved. Isn't that awesome? And you're like, oh my gosh, I would have never thought of that. They're like, yeah, well, anytime, brother. That's ble- like God saying, if somebody blesses you, I'm going to, I'm going to double down and, and bless them from heaven. And that's a reputation that will spread. Do you understand that if people are around you and they're blessed around you, that reputation spreads. People want to be around you at that point. Other people would attach themselves to Abram's caravan because when you did, when you know, when you were around Abram, you were blessed around Abram. Your presence made a difference, or sorry, his presence made a difference in your life. It doesn't mean that they worked for him. It doesn't mean that they were under contract or covenant with him. It just means they knew, hey, hanging out with this guy is is a good time, is a blessing. And in some cases, it may be physical. Sometimes it might be uh, financial. Sometimes it was just emotional or spiritual. They just knew being around Abram was a blessing to them. God says, I'm going to make sure that happens. Those who curse you will be cursed. He's like, the opposite will also happen. People are mean to you. They're going to like, that's, it's not that God is cursing them. God, God says that's just going to be a natural thing that, that will occur. People that aren't nice, not nice things happen. Some would say, well, that's fate, Bob. Fine. Call it whatever you want. God's like, listen, if you bless people, I'm going to make sure they get blessed. People will curse you. They're going to get what they, you know, they're going to reap what they sow. All the people of the earth are going to be blessed by you. Now, there's a lot of people who point to this verse, and this is fine. I'm not against this particular thing. Uh, They'll say, well, this is because of Jesus. Jesus comes through, you know, this heritage. Okay, great. Absolutely. All the nations of the earth are blessed by Jesus. Great. But I don't think that was the only aspect of this verse. I believe that, that, God is saying, listen, Abram, I'm going to cover you. Any any detail that you might worry about, any human concern that you might have, my blessings are going to override. So much so that entire nations will ultimately be blessed by you. You're leaving a nation where you, you know, your father had great influence, where theoretically you're recognized, not theoretically, but spiritually you're recognized by spiritualists as the threat as the one who would take over for Nimrod, you're the one that they're all kind of keeping an eye on because you have this 
mark on you on a spiritual sense that seems like a problem, right? A not not a blessing to the nation. God's like, I'm going to bless nations through you. All of the earth, including this area that you're leaving, is they're go- are going to be blessed by you. So you might be leaving the town of, of Ur, the Chaldeans, and you might be thinking, man, you know, I bring in so much income to this area. I bring in so much blessing. So many people are hired and, and work because of me. You're asking me to leave all that. And God's like, yes, I am, but they will be blessed by you as well. Your influence, your family, your wealth is going to impact the the earth. It's a pretty awesome thing what God does. His blessings always will override any human concerns you might have. So Abram went, verse 4, Abram went. I know it's such a short little deal, right? Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. With him, Abram was 75 old years old when he left, and he set out of Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that had they had acquired, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now remember, they set out for Canaan because that's where Terah had set out that they would go. But he stopped at Haran, and he stayed there for 25 years until he, you know, until he had died. Now, maybe he stopped there 25 years ago because he thought, well, I'm far enough out of the everyday reach of of Nimrod, and we'll just see how things go. Maybe he stopped there because he was not feeling well. Maybe the journey was very difficult for him, and he thought, I'm not going to make it all the way, Canaan. I probably need to just stay here until I die. It just took a long time. I don't know. I don't know. But there he was, and now he's leaving. So when it says he took Sarai, it's important that it's noted. Why? Because culturally, wives, <laughs> I like this, wives had to give consent to their husbands to be moved out of the land of their of their heritage, of their marriage. Now, remember, you know, as, as you know, right, was it Heron? I'd have to look at the chapter again. I forgot already. But if you remember, one of them married the, the daughter of one of the brothers, like, the intermarriage thing and the family thing was a big deal, and you couldn't just decide to leave the family. Your wife had to be in agreement if you were going to move out of the out of the land, and that's why I believe God was speaking to Sarah as well. I think when when Abram brought it up, and I don't know if he brought it up, you know, they're all sitting around. Uh, the, well, culturally, I don't know if they all sat around the dinner table together. I think usually the wives served the husbands. Uh, the men of the house. So Abram and Lot would have been sitting around on the on the rugs or pillows or whatever, waiting for their meals. And Sarai would have been coming in and out with the meal. But either way, the conversation occurred, and he had to ask Sarai if she would mind moving to Canaan. Now remember, she had originally started this journey with Abram under the guides of Terah, so they kind of knew where they were going when they started. But it had been 25 years. And he asked her, and she said, yes, we will go. I'll go with you. And that didn't just mean her. It meant all of her possessions and all those that worked for her would also go with her. She was she was the matriarch. She was taking all the operations of the household with her. And Lot, who was son of Haran, Abram's brother. Now, now I don't know if you remember, but uh, last episode we talked about the fact that Haran 
when when Abram walked through this fiery pit, so it was basically like a a huge hole, and and Abram was told to walk into it, right? So he walked down into the pit, walked through the fire, and came out the other side. Now, maybe it was just coals. I don't know. But either way, he walked out fine. Haran then pledges his loyalty to Abram, and Nimrod immediately says, then you walk through the fire. And Haran walks through the fire and is burned alive. So there's this, this, you know, this connection that Abram feels to Lot, uh, Haran's wife, uh, Haran's son and his nephew. Now, uh, where, where, where was it? Oh, so Lot also went with him. And again, I believe he asked Lot if he wanted to, because he knew he was moving Lot away from, again, his heritage, his family. Everything was there. Haran had been part of Nimrod's cabinet, had been, or at least Nimrod's spiritual supply house. He knew all the priests. I'm sure Lot knew all that was going on. He could have probably walked back and promised loyalty. He could have opened up the family business again of making idols, or he could have just extended it. People would have would have uh, you know gone to him by reputation, all of that. But he also knew that Nimrod was very threatened by any sons of the high priest, and nephews would have been considered part of that. Nimrod was also very threatened by the line of Shem, or Japheth, because that would mean that you know that theoretically the curse of Noah, of serving Shem, and Japheth was going to be reinstated if Nimrod lost his position to someone from the line of, of Shem. And uh, Nimrod did not like anybody who didn't worship idols because worshiping idols kept Nimrod as the lead dude, the head god. So Abram felt this long sense of responsibility for Lot. Uh, I think he also... Like I said, I think he asked Lot. I think Lot heard from God and had confirmed with, with Abram, yes, I'm coming with you. I think Sarai heard from God and when was asked, I don't know how or when he, she was asked, but when she was, she confirmed with Abram, yes, I've heard from the Lord as well. And I believe we need to continue the journey that your father set us out on 25 years ago. Let's pack up and go. And it said he took Sarai, his wife, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired. So there was clearly a servant-slave relationship going on here in the culture of the world. And most of the slaves came from the servant slaves. I know it's a it's a it's a weird cultural thing because I don't I don't like either one. I don't think either one came from the heart of God, right? It came from the heart of Noah. But either way, it's part of the culture. So, so when you think of it, think of it like it's no small parade. It's not like, uh, you know, they packed up the RV and sold everything else at a yard sale. They packed it all up. They had carts. They had wagons. They had supplies for the journey for all the people. That would have been dried fruit, dried... Uh, do you dry vegetables? No, dry fruit, salted meat, spices. They would have brought camels and horses and donkeys and sheep and goats and shepherds and servants and 
and business personnel, accountants. Uh, I don't know if they had their equivalent of lawyers. They would have had um, they would have had their own. Uh, the slaves and servants would have had their own families, sons, daughters, wives. They would have had builders. They would have had uh, warriors. People that would have been part of their security because you don't just jump on the road and hope everybody leaves you alone. They would have had tons of money, all whatever that was, gold, silver, silk, uh, probably fine jewelry. Uh, all of that would have been part of this journey. And you don't just pack that stuff up and throw it in a trunk. This stuff had to be protected. This stuff had to be uh, inventoried. That had to be noted. It probably took months of preparation. And then, you know, I don't know. Again, I've moved a lot. So you get to this place where you kind of weed stuff out because no matter where we've been, even though we we seem to move a lot, like we just accumulate stuff. And so there's this whole season of like, okay, we got to get rid of this, get rid of that. I don't really want this. And, you know, da, 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 da. I bought this last year for you know, for pool parties and we're not going to have a pool anymore. So all the pool stuff got to go, uh, you know, we don't have, we're not going to have the deck, da, 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 all the deck furniture. You just kind of get all this stuff out. And then you look back at your house and go, okay, now, you know, now I got to pack. Now I got to pack this stuff. And then you think, okay, this, the valuable things, when do we pack those and where do we put them when we pack? And we got to make sure we don't lose those things, but we also got to make sure that they're not easily accessible because people will be coming in and out of our house or, People will be coming in and out of the truck. We got to make sure that you know these things stay in the truck, or these things get out of the truck and go right to this place. And and it is it is vital information to have. And it is uh, even when you're used to it, it's stressful. I can't imagine what this was like. But all those things joined other people probably in a caravan. Heading up, this was a regular trade route. It was uh, it was picked as a trade route. It was called the Fertile Crescent because there was water and there was greenery for the for the livestock to be kept alive, so that you weren't driving them in you know to their death through dehydration and lack of food. You you had to keep them alive. You did not move fast with this amount of people, these amount of flocks. You had to move slow. Your shepherds would be spread out away from you, finding food and water for goats and sheep and and cows and camels, etc. And you had those that were pulling carts, the donkeys and the horses that were and uh, and I don't know elephants, I don't know uh, that were also pulling things, and they they had to be watered and fed. So you might travel. I think I I read somewhere where people would travel something like this would probably travel about 12 miles a day. Because it took that long to kind of get everything all loaded up as the sun was rising before it got hot. You would travel as far as you could till it got hot. Then you'd stop and you'd wait till the sun waned again. So maybe from noon to two, everybody would just stop, set up temporary shade uh, off the carts, off the animals. And you'd sit there and you'd take a nap or you'd have some water and take, uh, you know, some some pita and hummus dip or something along that line, some, some goat curd and, uh, and, and crackers. And then when, when everything was kind of cooling down again, you kind of load those things up quickly 
and you might travel another two or three hours, but then you would have to set up camp again. And all that time, your shepherds are doing the same thing. And then eventually every day or so, you you know, the lead shepherd would send messengers, like find them, find that caravan, find out where they are, find out how far we've got to go today. And they're trying to keep up. But Abram was the, uh, Abram, like I said, he had, he had come from a family he was noted in tradition as as a owner of herds that was used to traveling with his herds. So, although he he wasn't necessarily uh, uh, you know a big fan of moving, at least it was a, a reputation he had. So, although traveling was hard on him, it wasn't new. And Canaan was that was that land of opportunity in the West. It was it was very similar to you know. Uh, what were they? Covered wagons back in the day of the of the, of the of the United States, land of opportunity, out from the tyrannical uh, rulership of Nimrod. Let's head out that direction. That's where they were going. So I'm sure the caravans they were a part of, and and some I'm sure moved faster than others because they weren't weighted down, and I'm sure there were some who were blessed by Abram because they hung out with him and was like, wow really like this guy. I think we'll stay with him. We're all kind of headed the same direction. He's got security. We can add to that or we can help him with that. Whatever. All that's going on all the way to the land of opportunity. And at the the last phrase of verse five, and they got there. Boom. And that's where we're going to be. We got there. We got to verse five. We are in the land of Canaan. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back again next time on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, currently, as uh, as the world turns, we are in New Mexico, my wife and I, hanging out in a, uh, a little town called Elephant Boot, just outside of another little town called Truth or Consequences, which is another whole story. But... Look it up. It's kind of cute, especially especially if you're kind of old like me. Then you kind of know this, the old, there was an even older show that our parents used to watch called Truth or Consequences. Anyways, that's where it comes from. Crazy but true. Enjoy the story. I wanted to uh, just touch base again on this idea that that Abraham had a choice to follow the call of God. After 25 years of hanging out in his father's hometown waiting in essence, for his father to pass, which was which was part of the plan. After his father passed, he could have chosen to stay there. He had, uh, as we said in the in the episode, he had influence, he had resources, he had he had gained a lot of, of employees slash servants, and um, there was just no reason to go, except that there was this call, this reminder: Hey, I am going to take you to a land that I will show you the land of Canaan. Now, they knew it was Canaan. Uh, they knew that when they left uh, Nimrod. But he still had that choice to make. Now, what if he had chosen not to? And I guess that's the point I, I wanted to kind of touch on again is it sounds like God punishes you if you don't go. And again, I, I, know, I know what it looks like uh, from the outside. And I know what it feels like from the inside. Because it looks, it looks like people 
on the outside look at it and go, wow, like if they had just done what God told them to do, their life would not be so messed up. You know, they wouldn't have married that person. They wouldn't have gotten a divorce. They wouldn't have, some people even think, you know, like they wouldn't have gotten sick, whatever. They, they look at bad things that's happened to them and they say, that's because, you know, I know that God called them to go do this and they did not go. And, and from the inside, it, it, it can feel the same way. It's like, I know God asked me to go do this when I was, you know, whatever, 18 or, or 20, when I got out of college, when I, when I was finally done with summer camp, I said, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And he, and, and I didn't do it. And now look at my life. I can't find a job or, or I, you know, my house is falling apart or um, my car, you know, I can't get a car to, my car doesn't work and it can't ever work. What there's just so many different ways that people will pile on God. What really is the results of their choices? And it's not that their choice, you know, brought the punishment of God. It's that their choice took them out of a flow of favor. And I, yes, I do know philosophically you could look at that and say, well, see, God punishes you for not choosing. No, there's just a natural, continuous benefit to being in in uh, the flow of what he's asked you to do. It's not punishment not to do it. It is, it is your choice. You can, you can stay with your resources. You can stay with the people you're, you know, that you're connected to, and you can have the life that is yours. I went through this uh, recently, and if you know me uh, at all, you know that that's true. I was given a choice. I believe it was a clear choice from God. You could stay and live your life. You'll have a nice house. You'll have a good job. You get paid well. You you work with good people. This is not a you know it was there was nothing nothing inherently wrong with staying. But I knew to stay, that was that was all I was going to have. It wasn't that what I was going to have was bad. It was that there was the the more was <clears throat> excuse me wasn't going to be available. But to choose the more meant literally selling everything, getting a truck and an RV, and literally having nowhere to go, no idea where to go. We we just, we went, we traveled between family and friends. We traveled for almost three months, just kind of literally driving thousands of miles all over the, mostly the East Coast. Uh, and, and, you know, and then we, as, as I told you uh, just a few minutes ago, right now we're in New Mexico. Like then we just booked it out to the West because we really wanted to see the West. <clears throat> and it's gorgeous out here. But again, currently, I don't know where we're going to land and I don't know uh, <clears throat> what it's going to look like. But I do know it's what I was supposed to do. I do know that. Now, could things have changed and I could have said yes, but I, I didn't think they would, and they didn't. Like, there, there were probably a couple things that could have taken place, and I could have stayed, <clears throat> but that's fine. Those were choices other people had to make. But I knew the call of God on me was very clear. You can stay, everything will be fine, or you can go, and there'll be more. And I took the more. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's strange. It's strange not knowing where you're going. I will. I will give you that. It's very. It is odd. And and at and at some level, I do feel connected to Abraham and the story. 
in that you kind of know we're headed this direction. Not sure exactly where we're going to land. We're headed to the coast. I'll know it when I see it. That is, that is a weird day-to-day to be a part of. When you see your resources going down, we talked about that in the episode, your resources are, are strained when you're traveling. You're not generating any resources, which is true for me as well. You're watching, you know, the bills get paid, but you're, it's, it's not much less expensive than living life with resources. It really isn't, especially with gas prices. It's, it's insane. But it is where we, we, where we are currently, and it is what we know God wants us to do. And I understand that kind of confidence that Abraham had. Uh, he, was, he was confident. And uh, just like him, we look forward to where God's going to lead us. And you can do the same thing. Step into what God's asked you to do. Uh, it's not that God's going to punish you if you don't. It's just you're going to miss the more. Don't miss the more. Enjoy your day, everyone. I'll see you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.